Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. A rate shock slams stocks. The yield on the 10-year Treasury note breaking below 1% for the first time ever. The bond market bombshell comes as the Fed takes emergency measures to stabilize the market. The fallout widespread. And our traders are standing by to break it all down. A special edition of Fast Money starts right now. And yes, welcome everybody to a very special Fast Money. And your guides in these crazy times are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. I'm Brian Sullivan, in once again for Melissa. Here is what happened today on another incredible ride and volatile session. That big half percent rate cut by the Fed this morning, doing very little to calm markets, maybe exaggerating the selling. The Dow giving up more than half of Monday's gains at the end of the day, down 785. Keep this in mind. The Dow is now down 3,500 points from its highs of less than one month ago. Stocks, of course, a story. But the big story of the day was the bond market. Holy smokes. Bond yields continuing to fall on the 10-year. In fact, that free fall right at 2 p.m. Eastern time, we were at 0.99%. My drawing is not good, but you get the point. Under 1% on that benchmark 10-year note. We have never seen that before. Buyers not just coming into bonds, they also flocked into gold and the gold mining stocks. The precious metal up 3%, the gold miners even more. The GDX, one of the big gold mining indexes, up 5% today. Now, if you remember, if you tuned in last night, we hope you did, everybody around the desk said that they were not buying into the gains. In fact, Guy Dami, I believe you said we would rally to 3125 on the S&P 500, then probably fail. You nailed it, my friend. What do you think of the markets now? And more importantly, what do you think of what the Fed did? No, I appreciate that. That was just sort of a math problem, and we sort of put it out there in terms of where it could have traded up to and fell. And again, around the deck, we, co- we were collectively skeptical. And, and I'll say this, and Dan Nathan's been on this, Yields have been going lower long before coronavirus was the thing. Gold has been going higher long before coronavirus was the thing. This just sped up the move. We also said that at a certain point in the yield curve, at a certain point in 10-year yields, you're going to hit a point of diminishing marginal returns in terms of what it means for the broader market. And I thought that was around 1.4% in the 10-year. And that's proved to be somewhat correct. In terms of the Fed, you know, this is, we only have an hour, and I can rail against them for at least five but they are totally missed the boat. They've become completely beholden to the market, and now the market is completely in charge. It's, it's sort of a scary thing. 1% in 10-year yields in the United States is not a healthy environment. Do you think in any way, Tim, that what the Fed did exacerbating the selling? I mean, go home tonight and say, don't worry, honey, I stocked up, I stocked up on ammunition and fire extinguisher. I mean, and you're going to, what, what happened? Did they spook us? Well, it certainly didn't build confidence. And, and in fact, you know, the communique we had from the G7 and from central banks earlier in the day was kind of nondescript and amorphic, as you might expect. But at least it showed some coordination and at least showed some ready to act. When, when, you, when you cut it 50 with no fiscal behind it, with no plan, uh, and just, a, you know, some senses that we're actually trying to play the cycle game with the market, the market 
market that knows and expects and needs psycho- psychology from the Fed, um, it totally backfired. And again, uh, for, for to get any follow through right now that's going to make a difference for the market, you need fiscal packages. What China came out with a couple of days ago, 1.2 percent of GDP um, begins to make sense, even though that's just the beginning here. So when you think about the market today, and we've talked about the bond market for as much as equities have done, um, the 30 day move in the 10 year from around just right at 180 uh, down to where we are today is is historic by any measure. And you either have to say equities are way too expensive with bonds here and leaving aside how we value stocks or what's happened in the bond market is actually offsides and pretty you know perversely low. Well, it's offsides. I mean, the Fed kind of lost last summer when they decided that they were going to start cutting rates for the first time in 10 years when they did with the stock market at all time highs with the uh, Trump administration on a daily basis talking about how solid of a footing our economy was on. So whatever they were calling it, a mid cycle adjustment, that's where they lost their credibility. Now, I know Guy thinks that they lost it a long time ago, but there was no reason for that. And that fueled that kind of late year stock rally that we had, coupled with whatever you want to call the repo QE4. operations or QE4. Yeah, we'll call QE4. It's what so, it was. so I guess what I find really interesting is here, I'm not particularly panicked about this coronavirus. I mean, when you think about what's going on here, I mean, the market was going to correct one way or another. It's just giving it a, a bit of an excuse, but the market should have never been close to 3,400 in the S&P 500. So where are we right now? Where do we close today? Right at 3,000. That's where the uh, S&P 500 broke out in late October when the Fed started kind of expanding their balance sheet and after they had the benefit of three consecutive 25 basis point rate cuts. And I'll just make one other point. You know, whatever you want to call it, emergency, preemptive, these rate cuts. My history watching this and watching stock markets, you go back to 2001 when they had surprise rate cuts. Well, you know what? The stock market got cut in half in 2001 to its lows in 2002. And then you go back to 2007, 2008, when they started doing surprise emergency rate cuts in between meetings. And again, the S&P 500 got cut in half. So the market does not really love these sorts of things. And I think that, you know, it was pretty well telegraphed. Yeah, and also, you know, with all due respect to everybody, I'm not trying to insult anybody on this screen or any others that kept calling it a surprise rate cut. That's malarkey, Kevin. I mean, or uh, Kevin, Karen, I'm sorry about this. Kevin Flynn's our producer, which is, we've talked about a hundred times today, by the way, Kevin, I love you, brother, which is this, is that the CME futures showed a hundred percent chance of an intermeeting rate cut Sunday night. I tweeted it out. I mean, yesterday was yesterday sort of the, the, the Fed gas on the fire, Karen, and that's all we're going to get. I don't know if that's all we're going to get. I mean, I think on Friday they tell. By the way, you should have hit him with. You should have hit him with a Bobby. Yeah, well, Bobby. Um, But you know, listen, I I I feel badly for 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 Jerome Powell. Right, everybody's sort of you know telling him he's doing a bad job. Let me just sort of add to. I don't agree with what he did. I think that why not? Because you can't cure the flu with a rate cut. Right. That's what we have. The, the, when when in 1998, when the Russian debt crisis happened and long term capital is blowing, blowing up, that was completely a financial crisis. And that rate cut actually did solve that crisis. This is a very different kind of crisis. This is the consumer very nervous. Right. Not only about their health, but also about their businesses and the 50 basis rate cut. I don't even know why you need to do it now. Why not wait? Well, let let's see. It's not pre- it's not preemptive. And, and just sorry, just to be clear, because, you know, we've talked about the Fed in the last six months where were they going to get ahead of the market? Were they going to get ahead of the curve? Were they going to go 50 instead of 25? And we were talking about that back in, in late September and October. Um, this is reactive. This is this is chasing your tail. And this is a Fed that that you know, at this point, seriously, I mean, it, you know, 
Bank of Australia went 25 bips yeah. last night, left them with 20, 25 bips. I know that there's more tools in the toolbox, but ultimately, zero interest rates are here, and this is not solving anything. Yeah, but I, I kind of disagree with you guys. I mean, so like, like I just said, I thought last summer's rate cuts were a real problem. I think people really should have been upset about that. I think what's going on now, if you think about our economy and 70% of it is the consumer, and you think about the potential for economic shocks, I mean, this is the sort of stuff that they should be getting in front of, in my opinion, because when you think... But because but they did not the They're not in front of anything. Here's, here's the thing. Way. When I go back to, and I think about, like, the olden times, you know, like the two times that we just described in 01 to 02 and 07 to 08, I mean, those were really kind of existential threats. When you think about it, in 01, when they started really leaning on rates going to zero, nobody knew what this war on terror was going to look like, and nobody knew what the financial crisis was going to look like. But we knew the worst-case scenarios were really bad. No one knows how this thing's going to play no, out. Don't. I don't think it's going to be particularly that bad, but the reaction to it is crazy, and that is the thing when you think about how much debt is all so over the So let's back plan. it up. I want to go back to what my good friend Kevin over here said just a moment ago, Thank which you, is, it, it, no worries, <laughs> is this a crisis? You said crisis. Is it? Is it a crisis? I think, is it a crisis? I don't know what the definition necessarily means. I think it is of deep concern that the consumer, that the way we go about our daily business in the United States is changing, right? We all know of a conference that was canceled or a trip that they're not going to take or just pulling back or buying extra supplies. Those two things. But to Tim's point, the monetary and fiscal are very different, right? So let's yeah. say I'm supposed to travel this weekend. True story. Let's say I change my mind. My dog is going into a kennel. That's true. If we don't travel, the dog doesn't go to the kennel. That kennel owner, a small business owner, does not get that revenue. A lower rate is not going to help that kennel owner or the thousands or hundreds of thousands of small businesses around this country. Look, I, I think where we've gotten to is, is we're facing, and help me, Dan, if this is what you're talking about, what we were facing in the fall when the Fed gave us QE4 was essentially growth and recession risk. And, and markets were, were not only uh, not pricing that, but the S&P went on a 19% run, which led you to the dislocation that we've had over the last six trading sessions. That's what set this up. Now, there's no question that even before that, even before we signed phase one of whatever trade deal we did, the market was concerned about global growth. The market was concerned about the fragility of an economic recovery that, that frankly, uh, you know, we don't know where it is. So this is about recession risk. This is about ultimately pricing where equity should be. And, and, and to me, then you get into the technicals. Then you get into markets don't trade up or down 5% when markets are healthy on any given day and then have the reaction they did and have a Fed chase a 50 basis point cut. So without being alarmist about it, uh, if you look at the stocks and you look at the S&P and you look at the technicals, and these are just guideposts. I'm not a technical guy, but I can tell you that 28.55, which is where we challenged yesterday, which was the beginning of this run back in October 3rd that took you to those highs, we have to get back there. And, and if you look, we basically closed near the lows. Yeah, and that's a great level, Tim. I'm glad you bring it up because it's that level you just is the 50 percent retracement of the December 2019 low, which we all remember, 23.50 or thereabouts, and the recent high. It makes a lot of sense, and I agree. But the big, in my opinion, again, the bigger picture is none of these central bankers have the temerity to allow a downturn to happen. You know what? Guess what, folks? And this temerity is, is an interesting choice of words. Some well, might use well, another one. If we had a, if this was, you know, yes. a different yes. show, I could yes. use a different word. Trust me, I would. But downturns are a natural part of the cycle. You need them to happen. You have to allow it to happen. By not allowing it to happen... Is there anything natural about 1,000-point moves up or down four out of the last five days or whatever it's been? (laughs) 
when it's going up 200 points a day for weeks on end with nothing structurally behind it, we don't talk about that. We say the fundamentals That's are not so true. strong. This we have talked. I know about. we have. I'm, so, I'm, I'm saying in general. Trading. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, so yeah. it's just as it's just as ridiculous on the way up as it is on the way down. And we talk about it all the time. Markets go down faster. Allow the downturns to happen, and I don't think you'd have moves to this magnitude. But nobody's got the. I'll use the word stones to allow it to but happen. Why, Dan? <laughs> why you. didn't the market? Tried to react when the Fed came out this morning, and then it just failed miserably at one point down. A thousand uh, it's just the lack of visibility right now. I mean, so I would just tell you that I don't really believe this is a health crisis right now. When you think about the amount of cases and the way it's spread and how many deaths there are, it's not a health crisis. It is a financial crisis. That's what's going on. When you see headlines that you know millions, there was a headline on February twenty second on Bloomberg that millions of financial or, or firms in China could go under, could go bankrupt if the banks don't act. That was two weeks ago, and now I heard on the network all day today about small businesses to the point that you just made here in the U.S. What sort of bailout are they going to need? We just heard about from the administration that they might pay hospitals right, and insurance a, companies. But and that's all a this fiscal sort of, stimulus. Well, I understand that. But my point is this, is that you know, we're, we're talking, talking about, about monetary. Cuts. We're talking about everything now. So you're not throwing that at a, you know, a human, uh, like a, you, know, you know what I mean? This is not a humane thing. This is a financial crisis. There's been too much debt all over the planet. We know that there's been a rolling financial crisis from here in the U.S. Yeah. in 08 and 09. Obviously, to Europe and the yeah. sovereign debt crisis, and everyone's waiting for it to blow in China. And this virus couldn't have started a worse place on the planet than there. And maybe it's well. Let, let, right let's now. let's. It's a good point. Let's keep this going and bring in another voice. Okay, so the bond bombshells—we're going to call it—truly remarkable. I want to put this into a little bit of context for you. A year and a half ago, the ten-year yield was three point one percent. In other words, one of the most widely traded market instruments in the world that is supposed to be known for stability has seen a 70% drop in yield in 18 months. This means that lending rates like mortgages and car loans may go down in cost. Yay, that's the good news. But could it also signal something maybe a little more sinister or worrisome? Let's bring in Jim Bianco of Bianco Research. Uh, Jim, welcome. Uh, Listen, truly remarkable move. Does the Fed know something that we don't? No, the Fed knows nothing more than you or I know. Jay Powell's no more of a virologist than I am, and I know nothing about virology. But what they do know, and I'm going to push back in some of the earlier conversation and argue that the Fed did the right thing today. What they do know is the market priced in a rate cut. I argued it was going to happen yesterday, and that the market was demanding this rate cut because it saw problems. Today, which didn't really get widely reported, remember the old repo support we were talking about? Yep. Broke all the records today. Broke the records from December 31st. The street demanded a record amount on bids submitted to the Fed on repo. They didn't get it because the Fed's been reducing the size. But there is something going on there. And that has also caused a lot of short-term rates starting yesterday to plunge. And with the market demanding those rate cuts, it was sensing the Fed was getting it. They had to move and they had to move aggressively. And Let what me does that mean? Again, the repo market, Jim, I know it's boring. It's a little bit. It's the internal plumbing of the market. We've talked about it on this program. It's confusing probably for people who even do it for a living. But what does that tell you about what Wall Street might be thinking? Well, it's, first of all, it's a surprise. We didn't expect to see it on March 3rd of anything else. But coming on the heels of what happened last week, it suggests that there is a bit of a liquidity problem beginning in the financial system. 
It's being satisfied by what the Fed is offering them, but they're demanding it, so that's worrisome. We'll have to see now tomorrow and the next day whether or not it continues. But that's one of the reasons that the Fed, I think, moved, and that's what, because the market was pricing it in. A quick word about pricing in. As of tonight, the market is pricing in another 50 basis points on March 18th, down the five-eighths of a percent. And I would actually argue to you that if the market's pricing in 50 basis points or more for March 18th when we get there, they'll probably go all the way and just cut to zero in two weeks. Jim, they won't uh, even waste that time to go in that internet step. So, so I hear you on the repo, and we have been talking about it here for a long time. But So I'll, I'll push back and say, you know what, maybe if the Fed had come out and say, hey, there's a problematic bank out there, or institution out there that's creating this problem. This is how we need to address it. These are the measures we're taking instead of this is just the normal course of business or that nonsense because it is nonsense. I think the market would have taken it a lot better than it currently is. What are your thoughts? I, I agree with you totally. You know, when you when we look at these numbers every morning and you go, wow, look at that number. No color. Why is that number way up there? Why is that number larger than it was on December 31st, no color. It leaves you to fill in the gaps with your imagination on a, on a day after the market had one of its worst weeks ever. So that doesn't help the situation. Then you add in that the market was pricing in 50 basis points for an intermediate move, and that's why I think the Fed had to do what they did. I understand your arguments about it didn't, you know, they can't print a vaccine, they can't cause all those other things, but within their world, and what they look at, this was the right move for them to do. And don't be surprised if you see an even more aggressive move in two weeks if the market still demands it like it is right now. Jim Bianco. Jim, thank you very much. We do appreciate your time. You. All right. So, Tim, I mean, if Jim is right, we're going to the same level of Fed funds that we had pretty much at the peak of the financial crisis. I, I just think that, and, and so Jim brings up, there's a lot of technical stuff that we're talking about here, folks. And again, back to the repo market. I mean, we came in, repo is at 180, which means someone bought at the entire treasury curve. And so, yes, I get that. Um, we need fiscal. We need fiscal to counter this. And obviously, fiscal gets to be incredibly political. You think the Fed is political? Obviously, fiscal policy gets into something. So um, I, I, it really just comes down to, unfortunately, we've created an environment where the Fed has basically, the market has been pushing the Fed around now for years. And at some point, you get to this place. And I'm not sure that today's reaction was, was the right one. But we can leave that aside. What we're talking about for stocks, for companies, ultimately comes down to EPS. We're valuing companies based upon interest rates, but based upon EPS guidance and outlook. And that has changed dramatically. I, I don't think, uh, despite the fact that we were tempered and the market's calm between 5 and 10 percent um, before all this came out, um, we're hearing from every CEO who can that this is a time when they're actually pulling back in the reins. EPS estimates have to come down dramatically. So let me ask it this way, Dan. We've got the monetary side today, and according to Jim and others, we're going to get that even more on March 18th when they're actually supposed to meet. If we get a fiscal package, yeah. like to Tim's point, maybe it's tax cuts, maybe it's literally direct cash payments to small businesses. Does that help the equity market? Okay, socialism. Let's just socialize all the losses. No, Every does single it time. help the equity No, market. it doesn't. It didn't help it in 08, and it didn't help it in 01, and it, it's the time will help it. That's what's going to happen here. Time has to elapse, right? We need to work off some excesses. And again, I go back to they made their mistake in 2019 in July 31st when they cut rates for the first time in 10 years, and they did three 25 basis point cuts, and then they started QE. 
QE. That's what they're going to have to actually Well, they made their mistake back in 2012 or 13 when extraordinary Fed policy was never slowly taken out of the market. Agreed on all that. Karen, let's go forward. Does it help equities if if we get more? Well, we're missing a giant piece of information, which is how the spread of the coronavirus evolves in the United States. Are we facing a tsunami? If that's the case, then, yeah, we've got to do more. Okay, coming up, we are going to have much more on today's market sell-off. The data on nearly 800 points. Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson will join us Why he thinks the selling may just be getting started. But first, the rate shock rocking the banks. What today's unprecedented move in the bond markets means for those stocks. And just a reminder, as always, if you can't sit in front of a TV all day long, we get it. We're there, too. You can go to the CNBC app, download it, watch us live, listen to us live at any time. We're back after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. It was another historic day on Wall Street. Stock sank to Dow falling nearly 800 points. The 10-year yield fell below 1%. In fact, it's there right now at 0.999%. Now, that move down hit bank stocks hard. It's been hitting them all week since lower rates could hurt the profitability of their investment and loan portfolios. Regional banks took it on the chin the most. The worst day for that group in more than a year. The KRE ETF down 4%. Bigger names, not spared either. Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan Chase, you name it, it was down today. Karen, we understand that lower rates hurt banks' net interest margins, so-called NIM. Right. But was this an overreaction because the idea of lower rates is that they're supposed to spur lending, which would then be good for their business. Right. Well, I think a few things will be good. If we think about the refi market, that'll be good. If we think about maybe activity in a trading desk, that'll be good. Although, if we think about the asset management business, that's probably not as good. One very interesting thing happened. A lot of times we talk about the two-year, ten-year spread. And you would think, with all this concern, that it would flatten out. And I think we have a chart. If you look at the two-year, ten-year spread since the beginning of this year, there we go, it's actually... Near its highs. Now, normally, still low overall, you know, in the scheme of history, but normally you would think that this would be a flattening curve. It's not. So there's sort of this backwardation in rates, meaning the. the there's but what does that short- mean for the, for the, you know, we got probably got a lot of right. new viewers that are so, not daily viewers, but what is a, what is a steepening of that yield curve mean? Steepening is good. Steepening means that people think the economy will pick up in the future and rates will be higher. Now, it's not it's you know, it's got a long way to go to get really steep. So that's unusual. And the banks are just getting crushed. I'm long banks. I like banks. I think that the value is here. The concern is that if the economy slows down, that's bad for banks. And one thing that banks have had a real tailwind for years that could start to crack is 
credit quality. Credit quality has been outstanding for a long time. That would be that would be sort of a, that crack would be a painful one. We haven't seen it yet. For me, they've always been. I don't pretend to understand the banks. I don't. I think they're utilities in this world. I think their best days are clearly behind them pre 08, 09. But they're great trading vehicles. And I think we've talked about this as well. For example, Citibank. When Citi trades at 85% or thereabouts of book value over the last year and a half, it's been a screaming buy. 85% of book value here is $60. Now, when it trades up to tangible book, which is 82 in this environment, that's where it's been a sell. And we've talked about that for a while. So you're getting dangerously close to buying opportunity in city. And Morgan Stanley, quickly, and I know because we talked about it at the time, you have a major double top at that 57 or so dollar level from March of 2018. And if they didn't top tick the E-Trade thing, uh, it's hard to say who did. So that's getting interesting, but it still has downside to me to 40 bucks. I, I think Karen's nailing the, the real issue for banks is, is, is corporate funding and the cost of credit and, and credit spreads. And, and while you can look at the HYG and say, you know, kind of under control, um, there's no question banks in an environment where the kind of growth scare that we're talking about is something where credit actually gets reeled and becomes more expensive. Uh, and just because the tenure goes down to 90 basis points doesn't mean that someone's getting a mortgage at 110. It's not happening like that. And in fact, banks have, have based upon their history, um, have actually been much more restrictive in environments like this, whether the government tells them to be or not, and whether it's more profitable. Because Karen pointed out, I mean, you're at 30 basis points, two's tens right now, or almost. And that, we haven't been there in a long time. And that's not got great crushed for today also was the, the asset managers of the world, the Ameriprise financials. Yeah, but I'll take it a step further. I mean, Guy just mentioned Morgan Stanley. I mean, we've seen this at every market top. You see goofy stuff, buying E-Trade for $13 billion. You know, we I said mean, it that it, day. Well, it just it, it absolutely yeah. makes no sense, and I think it'll be a footnote on this market. Long, well, yeah, good, long way to go, but, but if things stay, one of the most ill-timed deals of all time. All right, there's a lot more Fast Money coming up after the break. Here's some of what we have on tap for you. The Fed surprised move, sending stocks in a roller coaster Tuesday. But was there something more behind the cut than coronavirus fears? And later, one bright spot in the markets today, gold miners. But will the sector keep its shine on? We have some answers. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. FedEx. 
right, welcome back. We've got a news alert right now from United Airlines. Phil LeBeau has the story from O'Hare. Phil. Brian, United Airlines joining American, JetBlue, and Alaska in waiving ticket change and cancellation fees. That's for tickets that are bought between now and March 31st. To any destination, any fare class, they will waive it. But again, it's only for tickets bought between now and March 31st. One other note. Take a look behind me. This is, what, 4.30 in the afternoon here at O'Hare? I fly out of here all the time. In fact, I'm getting on a flight here in a little bit. For this time of day, guys, this is light. I know it's a Tuesday. I know we're not near the holidays when it's a crush of people here, but it feels light. This is an indication that you're just not seeing as many people fly as we usually do. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Phil. I'm actually coming to Chicago on Saturday, and I booked a ticket yesterday because my oil conference was canceled. And you're looking at these seat, you know, the seat maps, and there's a lot of orange. And if you fly United, you know that orange means yep. the seat is open. Yep. Yep, I just did the same thing. Yeah, I, on all the flights that I have scheduled over the next three or four weeks, seats are wide open. Now, that may fill in a little bit, but you and I both know what we hear from people. They're just not making as many flights. It's sort of ironic because if you're worried about the virus, I assume you'd kind of want to fly on a half-empty plane, Phil. But maybe that's just me and I'm not an ir- a rational human being. Uh, Phil Lebeau, thank you very much, Phil. We appreciate it. Look forward to hearing how crowded that plane is. But these airlines guys have just absolutely gotten walloped. I mean, uh, American Airlines has taken it the hardest. I think it's down 32% in two weeks, Guy Adami. I mean, is there any value there? Yeah, I mean, valuation-wise, yeah. But to your point, I mean, if everybody makes the conclusion you came to that they want to be in a half full plane, it'll be full plane, if you think about it. I mean, not to go down get that my, rabbit get hole. my point there. Last night we talked about, and Tim brought this up, the valuation, probably the best airline out there is Delta Airlines. You know, we talked about 45 being a recent low double bottom, and then you saw Warren Buffett disclose, I think, a million share stake in it. Not a big deal for him, but it was noteworthy because the stock rallied. You break 45, and then you have to ask yourself, what's the next level? And that's what's going to happen with a lot of these airline stocks. It's not that I don't want to travel. It's just that some of the things that I was traveling for yeah. are being canceled. And I'm co- not just going to get on a plane just just to go to Chicago for S&Gs. Yeah, well, there, there, there you go. I mean, t- listen, United so, waving the change fees. By the way, kudos to United for doing that. Hope everybody else will follow suit. But what they're saying they no, is... Look, they have no choice. We, okay? What I mean, they're saying is we anticipate a lot of people are going to book and cancel. United has no choice not only to waive cancel fees, but they have no choice but to cut prices. Okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what happens to airlines all the time. And that discounting mechanism that is the market, if you look at those shares uh, on the airlines today, market almost perfectly efficient in terms of what it did to each share. Very different. You saw Delta down two. You saw the worst of the worst down six. Um, That is the leverage they have both financially and from an operations perspective. I think the markets nailed this, in fact. And if you listen to the street and Hunter K. Wolf, I think, is one of the best, that's exactly the ratio in which he's downgraded these stocks. Uh, American gets downgraded basically to a three-factor of what Delta does on EPS, and that's what the market has done. Okay, let's turn back to the broad market sell-off today in the macro markets. The Dow, of course, ended the day down nearly 800 points. Yields on bonds sank, in fact, below 1% right now in the 10-year. Oil rose, but oil stocks actually fell, bizarrely. Crazy times, anyway. But the key question for you is this. Is the market pricing in a recession? Or is it simply overreacting to an irrational human fear of something we don't understand, the coronavirus? Let's bring in Mike Wilson, Chief U.S. Equity Strategist at Morgan Stanley. Uh, Mike, just a light question there. I know it's nearly impossible to gauge. We appreciate you joining us. Has the stock market overreacted? Well, no, I think we have to kind of acknowledge that. I think what's going on today is just a continuation 
of the correction that began actually two years ago. And I was listening to some of what you were saying at the beginning of the show, and I agree with a lot of that. I mean, with the fourth quarter rally was really somewhat nonsense, and we've talked about this. I mean, it was really liquidity-induced. I mean, there was some hope that, you know, growth was bottoming, and we were looking forward to something better in 2020 from a growth standpoint. But the moves that we saw were just completely unjustified by what we're seeing in the fundamentals. And so we've been, you know, expecting that that was an overshoot. Uh, We didn't know when it was going to recorrect, but we think this is overdue. And the reality is, is that uh, on the virus itself, I mean, it was going to be that or something else. Uh, Obviously, this is a little more scary, perhaps, for markets. That's why it's more violent. What I think is going on is that this is really the fourth shock that we've had now to the economy in the last couple of years. The first one being the fiscal stimulus, which caused cost problems and margin issues, which we've been writing about for two years, and there's still an earnings recession going on right now, and that's still a headwind. The second thing is that the Fed actually did raise rates a lot in 2018. They had a full rate hiking cycle. And that's still having a negative impact on the economy from two years ago, quite frankly. The third shock was tariffs. And, yeah, we have a phase one trade deal. But the reality is is that there's still existing tariffs that are out there. And now we have a virus, which, by the way, is a direct you know, concern for the U.S. consumer who's been the linchpin for the U.S. economy. So I think it's right that the market is starting to price in a recession. I mean, the bond market's been telling us this for a long time. You know, cyclicals have really underperformed, and we've been, you know, very bullish on bonds and, you know, utilities because we thought rates were going to go lower. But I'll tell you, I mean, today's move is startling in that regard. I mean, we never thought we'd be at 1%. But look, I think it all makes sense. And now, so the question we have to ask ourselves is, how much recession has been priced. And we think, you know, a good chunk of that's been priced. But until there's certainty about how this is going to resolve itself, I think we're going to remain under pressure. Hey, so Mike, it's Dan. Um, Quick question on valuation. You know, last year we saw obviously a multiple expansion, uh, 30% up in the S&P 500, no earnings growth. This year we have the S&P now down 7%. And the likelihood is that we won't see a lot of earnings growth, if any. So where is a valuation level that you're kind of steering clients towards? Again, not knowing there's no visibility on uh, S&P earnings here, but relative to where were high single digits just a month and a half ago. Yep. So, you know, we, we've had a little bit you know, more bearish view on earnings even before the virus. We've been looking for flat earnings growth this year because of that margin pressure I talked about before and some lingering effects from, from tariffs. We were not that excited. But now I think that's probably got downward pressure to it. Uh, I would say maybe it could be slightly negative. The consensus, as you're saying, I think, I think it's still plus seven. So we think there's about 10% downside to the consensus numbers. Now, the market is, is discounting that, right? That's why multiples have come in. And with rates as low as they are, the equity risk premium is actually as high as we've seen uh, since really you know, last summer or December of 19. But I think you guys were talking about this earlier. When rates get this low, you might argue that the equity risk premium might have to go up even higher because with rates at 1%, what is that really saying about the longer-term future? And, and the market's going to struggle with that until I think real rates start to get back towards zero. And, and so what am I saying? I'm saying that I think that we, we're at fair value today. I think this is actually the market's discount a lot of bad news, assuming rates normalize. But if rates don't normalize, I, I, I would suggest that we could go down another 10% or so. Mike, it's Karen. Let me ask you something. If you think we're on the cusp of a recession, uh, where are the and you have to be invested, what are you telling your clients in terms of where they should be? Is it utilities? What are the most defensive things you have them in? Well, we've been there, so and those are now really expensive. So I think the market has already moved well ahead. Like it's been preparing for this for a while, and you know, once again, I, I think these these you know increasing shocks have been happening for a while. And and I I think the Fed last summer, I don't think those were insurance cuts. I think that was the beginning of the rate cutting cycle, and that's and now we're moving into the second phase of that. 
And so what should clients be doing now and what should investors be looking to do? Look, I think the biggest risk in the market is still in these high multiple growth stocks, okay, that are over-owned and over-loved because they are not pricing in any kind of recession risk, okay? And look, that's on our call yet, just to be clear. We're not saying there's a definite recession, but the earnings are going to have to come down for all of these companies. And I think uh, those are the areas I think you need to avoid more than uh, worrying about, you know, hiding out. And I think I think what this is an opportunity to upgrade the portfolio. There are some things that have gone on sale, and we've been trying to do that in our focus list, you know, buying high-quality stocks that have come in 20% or so. And I think I think that's what you should be doing. You should be upgrading your portfolio into this decline because we don't know exactly where it's going to end. Mike, give, give us two or three of those names. I mean, that's really interesting stuff. What are the highest-quality names you want to buy on sale? Well, something that we just added this week was just was Mastercard, right? Because it had corrected a lot. We added that to our model portfolio, and I think that makes perfect sense. And that's a that is a gross stock, and it's it's one of those ones that's kind of overrun. But they they have a great business model. But that's something that does it rarely goes on sale. And there are examples like that that I think makes sense. The other side of the equation is to look at things that are really cyclically beat up. Okay, so some of the banks, you know, I mean, they have been destroyed, and they probably are going to be a little more pressure, but banks and maybe some of the materials and energy and things like that, because on the other side of this, if we have a recession, there will be a rebound. Like, we're not secular bears. We actually think that we're going to manage through this at some point. And, and that stuff has been, you know, has been selling off now for almost two years or three years. And so there's a, there are some bargains in the cyclical area that you should be starting to, you know, start starting to take a really hard look at here. Mike, you think the snapback can be violent, like we saw yesterday? Well, I think that's a classic uh, bear market rally type action, right? I mean, that, that's, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff I don't want to see. I'd rather see a stabilized, find a level. I think you guys mentioned 2850. Uh, that, that was a level we published in our note on uh, last week as well as a level we thought that it would hold. Um, I, I would say that uh, I would say I'd like to see some, some basing mm-hmm. out. I'd like to see volatility come down uh, as opposed to this you know, whipsaw yep. up 1,000, down 1,000. That's not healthy. Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley. No, it is not healthy. We appreciate you joining us. So thank you very much. A healthy dose of reality there. Did anybody around this table buy anything today? Volatility? No. Um, Puts? Well, listen, here's the thing. I think that what Mike said, there's a lot of there's going to be opportunities because of this volatility. I just think you got to pay attention. New York Times, they took down their advertising revenue for the quarter. You know, what, how do you extrapolate that? Did you see Facebook close down five and a half percent? They get 90 percent or 95 percent of their sales from advertising. Does that put Google? They haven't pulled their guidance yet. So you got to start putting some stuff together. It's like a big mosaic here. Things are going to get ugly for a bit. But the stuff that you love is going to give you an opportunity to buy it on sale. Start to get a shopping list. I, I will say, you know, look, we, we actually did nibble on a couple things this morning for a couple clients because the, the discipline that I certainly have been saying I, I was saying it Friday at, at some point you do want to be stepping in here to buy some stuff I think casinos got very cheap I think you had a case where um, you know there, there are certainly names that we have been waiting to come down to a place I, I also though hate buying on a Fed day so we had a little bit of both today so after that Fed move it was kind of like we need to stand back and and yeah. we've all said it and, and I'll remind you again of 2011 you had this period massive drawdown like we had then the market did this this. It chopped around in plus and five, plus and minus five percent moves for almost a month. Um, I, I think we're in a difficult period here. Okay, thank you very much. Right up next, are people going to buy homes simply because interest rates are low? The market seems to think so, but are they getting it wrong? We're going to find out. Stick around. All right, Dow fell nearly 800 points, but not everything was down. The home builders saw some big action on today's Fed rate cut and, of course, the bond market move. Shares of Lennar, Pulte Group, KB Home, DR Horton, they rose. Not a lot, but they were up 1% or 2% a day where almost everything else was down. 
For more on today's action and what it means for the housing market, let's get now to Diana Olick, who's in D.C. Diana. Well, Brian, I just want to preface with mortgage rates do not follow the Fed funds rate. They loosely follow the yield on the 10-year Treasury, which, of course, came crashing down today to yet another record level. So the average rate on the 30-year fixed hit a record low, moved a little higher this morning, but will be back down again tomorrow. Mortgage rates don't move as quickly as stock prices or bond yields. And that gave the builders a boost. The home building ETF closed up. 0.61% on the day and is up about 5% week to date. It's on pace for its best week since June 7th and is out of correction territory. Now, it is being led by names like Lennar, Pulte, and D.R. Horton, which all ended the day in positive territory. Lennar up more than 2.5%. So clearly, investors think rock-bottom mortgage rates will outweigh homebuyer concerns about the broader economy. Now, as for the S&P real estate sector, which was positive for much of the day, it ended down very slightly. REITs make up this sector, and they are a high-dividend, low-yield play, and the rate cut should benefit commercial real estate, so that's why it is outperforming other S&P sectors. Now, tomorrow tomorrow morning, we get the weekly read on mortgage applications. The refinance numbers should be big, given this drop in rates. I spoke to the CEO of Quicken Loans, Jay Farner, who said they have had two straight record days for loan application volume. Brian? All right, record days there. At least something up. Diana, look, thank you very much. All right, uh, here's what I don't understand. Okay, Brian, things yep. understand. let's talk about this. The retailers got crushed and have been crushed because the, the theory is nobody wants to go to the mall. But suddenly everybody wants to buy a house where they're going to go tour a model home with other people, too. What, I, well, nobody wants to go to the mall for different direction. reasons. I mean, no one's going to the malls. Malls barely even exist anymore. Okay. We're not going to go to the store, correct you in public. we're going to buy a home. Um, so... Look, at the risk of being the master of the obvious, if, we're in a consu- if we go into a consumer dynamic, the housing market's going to get crushed. Okay, So to be clear, um, 1% rates on 10-year is, is kind of what we talked about earlier, not necessarily a time to do cartwheels. When rates are moving this low, ultimately it's a sign that it's pre-alert for the consumer. So I, I would not be running in to buy uh, housing here. Um, I don't think it's distressed. Um, I think there's obviously some underpinnings of the U.S. housing market, which include uh, a lack of supply uh, and actually lower rates and refi help. Um, but uh, again, if the concern is that the Fed is getting ahead of, of recessionary risk and an economic slowdown, I don't think you want to be jumping into I, home builders. I, I don't even know why we're talking about this. Just look at Toll Brothers last week. It was down 20% in, in one shot after their earnings. Because and, we're and, trying to prevent people from from just rushing into a stock because it maybe is a low I rate. I think it was a rhetorical question, if I may. Okay, I'm <laughs> saying, again, okay, these stocks are up half percent today and the market was down 2%. I'm telling you that Toll Brothers told you all you needed to know last week, whether it's a good time to buy home builders or not. And then if you want to, again, look at other things, Masco was down today, Whirlpool was down today, 4.5%, uh, Black & Decker was down. There's no reason to go buy it. The point you're making is, is that if we do go into a recession, I'll Get out of the way. Yeah. Get out of the way of houses. Yeah. However, Brian, if you want to trade these... What ins- do you mean by rhetorical question? I know what it means. There's an H in it, which I love when there are these letters that you don't really need, but you throw them in anyway. It's, it's wonderful. Rhetorical falls under that category. With that said, if you go and look at KBH, $32 was the low in November. $32 again held in December. And look at where we recently traded down to and bounced from. 32. What does that mean? It gives you a great thing to trade against. There you go. Coming up, it was a not so Super Tuesday for stockholders, but remember, it is Super Tuesday for the candidates. Voting underway across the nation. We're going to tell you who the options market may be betting on. We're back in two.
All right, welcome back. Stock selling off in a big way on Wall Street again. Bond yields sinking to historic lows. The Dow off 785. And Jim, all over today's big move. Be sure to catch Mad Money coming up at the top of the hour. And stick with us. Fast Money will be right back. All right, welcome back. Well, don't forget it's Super Tuesday. Voting underway across the country. And the options market is already making some big bets as we count down to November. Mike Cohen, San Francisco, with your options action. Thanks, Brian. So right now we're looking at United Health. Now, this was obviously a very hard hit stock today. It was down more than 4%. But it did see twice as many calls as puts trade earlier this morning on above average call volume. And one of the larger trades that we saw was a purchase of 1,000 of the March 295 300 call spreads. The buyer spent about 95 cents for those. The buyer's obviously making a bet that it could rally back to those prior highs that we saw essentially before all of this coronavirus concern. Now, the managed care space is obviously one of those areas of the market that have been concerned about the election and specifically those that are talking about socialized health care. But, of course, it should be said that there are some other concerns for managed care in the form of coronavirus, although right now it does seem like that's being discounted pretty heavily. All right, Mike Coe with the Options Action in San Francisco. And, of course, from more away, turn in the full show every Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, we're going to set you up for tomorrow's trading session today. We're back after this. All right, another big day on Wall Street. Stock selling off hard, Dow down over 700 points. And, of course, full continuing coverage of what have been a wild couple of weeks in a CNBC special report tonight. Markets in turmoil, 7 o'clock Eastern time. All right, time now for your final trade. Kick it off, Tim. For context, think about Disney around 110 is before it re-rated and before it went on this big move. I, I think that's also a sideways market for a growth-challenged environment. I like Disney. You should be nibbling. Yeah, normally when rates are lower, that's good for bonds. But the HYG, I don't think we've started to see any kind of panic in there yet. And you get some bond deals pulled, I think it's going lower. Short HYG. Short HYG, damn. Yeah, I think Mike Wilson made some really good points about the high valuation mega cap tech names. One of them in particular, under the radar, Microsoft posted actually 5% today. That is a massive, massive outsized mood. I, I think you want to take a look at the QQQ Microsoft and Apple make up about... 40% of that thing, um, I think puts look interesting. I think what you're hoping for tomorrow is for the market to open lower, that 2850 level that Tim talked about. Hopefully it That's a big move, by the way. And then you could see, for the short term, a bottom. I think Twitter in this environment makes a lot of sense. All right, great stuff, guys. We'll see everybody tomorrow night on Fast Money. Mad with Jim starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.